Well, today is special in that one of our uh, elders will be bringing today's uh, sermon message. Uh, Ed McDonald uh, has been with us together with Michelle from the very beginning. Uh, these guys have been uh, just incredible leaders, just going all the way back. Uh, Ed ser first served with us as an external board member and providing uh, legal counsel uh, until uh, both of them felt called by the Lord to be a part of the church body. For those of you who know these guys, uh, they've been such a gift in more ways than I can uh, list out now. Um, so uh, would you please put your hands together and give a warm welcome to Ed as he comes up on the stage. This will be Ed's first sermon, so I'm really excited about uh, what the Lord's put on his, uh, placed on his heart and for you to hear it today. Uh, what I'm going to do is, is pray and then read the sermon text, and then I'll hand things over, over to Ed. Father, thank you so much for the gift of Ed and Michelle. Uh, their, their gift has, has just been uh, manifold to so many of us in church in, in more ways than we can even, even count. And so we just say thank you for them. Would you bless them and their family? And Father, would you please fill Ed with an extra measure of your spirit, were, were that possible, as he teaches from your word today? And would you fill us each with your spirit as we hear the words that you have uh, for us through him? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, scripture reading is from Psalm 130, and then I'll hand things over to Ed. Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits and in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait in the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Amen. Thank you, David. Well, welcome, everybody, and happy new year. Um, this is very new, as David said, for me. First time I've been up speaking for a sermon. I'm a trial attorney, so I'm used to speaking in front of judges and juries, <laughs> courts of appeal, but never my fellow churchgoers. So I brought, for me, it's easy to bring things to help. I brought my Bible I got from David's dad when I was in college to help me with this. And I, even Michelle, my wife Michelle will be surprised at this, but I actually wrote my sermon out, which I don't do. And I made an outline. So I've got both an outline and the writing in case I need some help today, if I can get it out. But what I, what I really hope is that I, I remember what's up here, but most importantly, that God remembers how to get the words out of my heart to you today. So today, David read our, our, service, our service scripture today of Psalm 130. And I'd like to um, talk with you about that psalm. It's a little bit old school, I know. We're going back to the Old Testament. But this psalm itself has been, become a very special psalm for me. And it describes the process of a spiritual journey of the psalmist. And I'd like to share with you that journey and how it intersects in my life and may intersect in your life too. Uh, for me, it's a beautiful psalm that I didn't realize it was in front of me my entire life 
but I do know now it, and I'd like to share that knowledge with you today. At the core, this psalm, actually, I'm a history guy. I'm a history major. I love history. This psalm is called, not sure where to look, but it's called the De Profundis Psalm, which means it's Latin for out of the depths, and uh, it's a very profound psalm. It's a psalm that talks about the psalmist's journey from the depths in the first two verses of sin, despair, sorrow, grief, separation from God, climbing out of those depths through the assistance of God pulling him out of those depths and then sharing his glory with the community of Israel when he's out of those depths. That's what the psalm is about. It's a song of ascents. If you look at the superscript for the psalm, it says psalm of ascents. There are, I don't know, about 12, 14 psalms of ascents. It's literally a song that was sung while traveling up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a hill. The travelers would come all the time to go visit Jerusalem for the holy days, for holy festivals, and they would sing psalms. And one of the songs, psalms they sung was Psalm 130. It's almost like if you've driven with kids in the car to Disneyland or something, 99 bottles of beer on the wall or something like that. It, it's what they would do on the way to the festival. But there's, there's much, much more to it because there's a spiritual and religious significance to singing that song and preparing their hearts as they're traveling to worship God. So if you look um, at the first two verses of the psalm, it talks about how the psalmist is in the depths of his misery or sorrow. If you read those first two verses, I'm going to switch over to my... <laughs> the first two verses are, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercies is another way to say it. So in this, if you look at the psalm, the psalmist is talking in his own voice. He says, I cry out to you, not somebody else. It's something that the psalmist is per personally experiencing and suffering and wants to put down on the paper. And in, in, when we go through the psalm, I would ask that you also think about your own lives as we progress through the psalm. Put yourself into this psalm and, and go with that flow to understand what God may be saying to you as we search this psalm. Is that okay with me, with you? When, when you go back, when I think of the psalm, it's, it's talking to me about, uh, you have to understand what the depths are. I don't know what it means to you for the depths. For me, it means a separation from God. Uh, many people historically believe it's like the depths, and I think the first thing you might see or think of is the depths of the oceans or the sea that you would sink down into, like Jonah sank down with the whale going to the depths of the sea. And if you think about what just happened to us last week on the coastline with the destruction of Seacliff and Capitola and the piers and the beachfronts, you would have an understanding that the ancient peoples or our ancestors feared being out in the middle of the sea for fear of falling to the depths. That's the type of depths this psalmist is talking about here. He's talking, he may be talking about depths from depression or emotion or the depths of, of un, 
healing health issues or the depths of pain that continues on and on. It may be the depths of, of sin, but for me, it perfectly means the depths of being separated from God. And when you're separated from God, it's as if you're existing in an era or a matter of nothingness. There's nothing there because God's not there. The light's not there. I didn't know this as a kid. I think I know it now. The way I knew this, uh, I have to explain a little bit of my journey along the way. And I'm going to go back to when I was a young child. Um, I'm a family from separation and divorce many years ago. And my parents were separated when I was in first grade or so. Once that happened, that was devastating to me as a kid. I still remember it as today. Um, but once that happened, I started praying as a child in my childish ways. God, bring my father back to me. God, bring my father back to me. I did that for years. And it didn't happen, but it, the good news is it happens much later. <laughs> but it didn't happen when I was a young child. Um, and I didn't understand how God would be a loving God if he wasn't granting my prayer to bring my, God, my dad back. And it took me a long time to understand how God is a loving God, but that's part of Psalm 130 for me. When I think about, when I think about God, I obviously equate him with my father, and I lost my father when I was young. It wasn't until much later, when I was in high school, that I started to understand what God's message was for me and God, how God was going to answer the prayer for me. I was a sophomore or a junior in high school. My prayers had not been answered. My God was not unified with my family. I rarely saw him. My father did not see, live with us. I rarely saw him. He lived in Nevada. Um, one day we got a call. One night we got a call, and I found out my father uh, had broken his neck and back from a, a really atrocious accident uh, going off a cliff just above Tahoe City in Tahoe. And when I heard that news, I was shocked. I remember distinctly going out of the house. I think it was the evening time or nighttime. I don't know. I needed to be by myself. I started literally screaming at God and telling him, how could you kill my dad? How can you let him die before you've answered my prayer to bring him back into my life? And when I was doing that angry yelling, I realize now that was me crying from my depths of what I was suffering as a young kid. I was, I was struck by God that night, not physically, but in a spiritual way. I understood that night that there was a depth that I was stuck in because of the circumstances I had. Didn't know what it was. I was doing really well. I obeyed my parents. I said my prayers, I went to church, I listened to my teachers, I got good grades in school, I did sports. If you ask my wife, I even had blonde curly hair. <laughs> I, was, I was like on the track for a good life, right? But, but something was wrong. And what was wrong, if you think the, about my description as a teenage life, everything was focused on me. I was saying, I, 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 I. I didn't realize then until that moment that I wasn't in control, God was in control. I couldn't control if my dad would be able to come back with me or not, God could. And in that moment, I trusted God enough 
begged for him to help me come out of the depths of my depression about not having a father. I didn't understand what it meant at that time, but I asked him to help me. Within a, my life started changing from that point forward. Within a few years, I found Christ in high school. I was baptized, went to a local church, and I, was, I started the process along the journey that the psalmist is talking about. But it took that type of event for me to understand what it meant to be in the depths. I don't know what your depths are today. I don't want to know what they are. I mean, that's, that's between you, personally you and God. But I do know that if you turn to God and you let go of the issues you face and you cry out to God like the psalmist did in the first two verses of Psalm 130, he will listen to you. He will hear you. He will turn his ears and be attentive to you. What that is saying is that not only does God hear you, he will listen to you. The answer to your prayers and cries may not be what you expect, and it may not be at the time in which you expect. It wasn't for me. But God does hear you, he does listen to you, and he will pull you out of whatever depths that you are facing, whatever it might be. And that's because God has a unique plan for each one of us for salvation and redemption through his son. I'm going beyond my, my scripts of my slides, but that's okay. I was going to go on to the next step with uh, God mercifully forgives, and that's in verses 3 and 4, which says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you might be feared. These two verses are talking about God's merciful forgiveness after he's taken you out of the depths he will forgive you, and he will. And the psalmist says it that way. He doesn't say God will someday forgive you. It may happen. He says it in a very affirmative tense, saying God forgives. There is forgiveness with you, God, that you may be feared. The first part of that verse, marking iniquities of sins, I don't know what that means to you. Many people think it's just like keeping a record of sins, um, it, that, that kind of what it means for me. I had to do a little research on this. Actually, marking a record of sins, uh, God keeps, a, keeps an eye on sins. He watches on the sins, but he's there to forgive you. It's not like Santa who makes the list of naughty and nice, right? And then that list is going to be looked at at the end of time, at the end of days. God knows what's happening in your lives, but he wants to and will forgive you when you reach out to him. When, it's, when it says in here that, oh, Lord, who could stand, that's talking about knowing your sins, knowing where your problems are, knowing your separation from God. Who could stand in front of God based on that? For me, as an attorney, I have an idea of what that means to me. I've stood before judges. I've stood before juries. I stand before people to advocate on behalf of my clients to justify their actions or to absolve them from actions that someone thought they were doing wrong. That's pretty much what the psalmist is saying here, that if, if you have a record of your wrongs and your separation from God, who could ever be like me and an attorney in a courtroom and stand on those records? For me, there's almost a visceral part of standing, of the word standing here. I know the record of my sins and my separation of God. I can't stand 
physically under the weight of that record. And it's only through God lifting me up that it is possible, and it's only through God's forgiveness that it's possible that I can stand before God. Not on my own, but through him. And God is, is not... God is a God of love and forgiveness, so he wants to erase that record of sin that you have. He wants to, despite your sins, to lead you to forgiveness. The psalmist here cries out to God, and he says that um, God forgives him, and that God forgives for a very specific reason. He says that God forgives so he may be feared. I don't know what you think when you see that or hear that or, or read that. Uh, it's not really terminology that we use these days in Silicon Valley. But in researching this, and my understanding is when fear, it's not being fear shaken in your boots before God because you know what you've done wrong. It is being forgiven by, for God, by God so he may be feared, as in be worshipped with awesome wonder and grace, graciousness at how he has redeemed our lives by picking us up out of the depths. That's what the fear is. That's what, in a sense, motivates God. And that's what should motivate us when we receive his redemption, is that we may show that proper fear to God when we receive his redemption. That's why it happens. Tim Keller says that when God forgives us and pulls us out of the, the depths, what happens is it empowers us. God empowers us to live a life in respectful surrender and, and to God's sovereignty over our life. And, and I have found, as my life has gone on, that's what I'm to do, and that's what I'm trying to do. And it is a journey. It is each step of the day, surrendering respectfully to God and surrendering to his sovereignty, taking the eye out of my thoughts and putting in, in the, God, the thoughts of God. The next section on the verses for the psalm is verses 5 and 6. And that talks about expectantly waiting on God. And if you look at that verse, it says... My, soul's wait for the, my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch the, for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. That's another phraseology that we don't really hear much, right? What do you think, what does that mean to you? I mean, I, I really had to look this one up to find out what it means. I don't know why it was repeated. Why are they repeating, my soul is waiting for the morning? What I saw in, in, in my research was the watchmen here. They could be military watchmen guarding at night over this, the walled city waiting for the morning to come so they would be off of guard duty, but also that nothing bad would be happening. Or it could have been priests who were waiting for the morning sunrise and they would begin their priestly duties at that point. For me, I relate more to the watchman. I've never been in the military. I don't know anything about that. But I do wait, relate to the watchman waiting for the sun to rise. And, and the way I equate it is we're out somewhere waiting for the sun to rise, waiting for the dawn to go. We don't have a watch. It's dark. You have no idea what time it is. 
You know it's going to be several hours before the sun comes up, but you don't really know. But you know it's going to rise. And that's kind of what, somewhat what the psalmist is saying here is that when you wait on God to answer your prayers, as he eventually did with my father, you wait expectantly and with hope, trusting that those prayers that you continue to raise to God will be answered by him in his way and in his timing. It's different for each of us. And it's definitely not what I expected when he answered my, my prayers. But this part of the psalm is asking you to trust in God and wait expectantly with hope that God hears you and will answer his prayers in his way and his timing. And when he answers those prayers, God leads to abundant redemption and hope. And what, that's, that's what's seen by the psalmist in the last two verses of the psalm. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Again, there's terminology in here that I didn't understand because abundant redemption is not a phrase that I use in court. <laughs> it's, it's not a phrase that I've always seen. Uh, but abundant redemption says something to God's redemption of our lives through his son, Jesus Christ, but his redemption is full. It is complete. It is everything to, to, to bind any distance between you and God because that's what God offers you when you are forgiven and you receive his redemption. It is complete and nothing more is needed. Uh, Part of my story on the waiting and redemption is before COVID, or right before COVID, some of you know, not all of you know, but I was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer, turned out to be stage four cancer, um, right before COVID. And during that time, I rediscovered Psalm 130. I used it as an anchor for me every single day to pray the psalm. It's because it comes from a, uh, the Northumbrian community in Northern England and Southern Lower Scotland. It's a group, uh, it's, it's a spiritual group that sings old psalms and hymns at night and vespers and so on. I did that when I was going through my cancer treatment. Um, I'm done with my cancer treatment now. I'm expectantly waiting for the final say on whether the treatment took or not, but I, I know that God's got it in his control. But when I was going through treatment, I would read Psalm 130 and sing Psalm 130 every day. Sometimes I couldn't do that because I didn't have the energy even to read. So I would have it, I would play it to myself through Alexa. I mean, there are benefits to Alexa, right? <laughs> And through that, God was able to, to speak to me in a very, uh, it wasn't dark. I knew he had control over my life, but it was a very difficult time for me. I was able to rely on this psalm, knowing 
that he has redeemed me and he will get through, me through this, this health problem. And he has, and he will. And I do know that he has given me abundant redemption through walking with me through that, through bringing my father back in my life. And that's what happened to me. Not when I wanted as a child. My father came back after 30 plus years of prayer. He came back to God first. I didn't know he came back to God. I found out more about my, God, my dad coming back to God after my father passed. I went to his service at his church that I didn't even know he went to. And it was like I was the son of someone that they loved. And it was pretty amazing to me to be um, comforted by an entire congregation that I didn't know who my father touched. My father came back into my life. He became my dad again. My wife, Michelle, got to know him in a different way, which is good. He became my kids' grandparents. It's something that was beautiful for me, but not when I expected it. I didn't expect it to take 30 years plus, but it happened. And, that, and with, through that, God taught me, and that was a gift that he gave to me through his redemption. He taught me that God really is a loving father. I had a hard time believing that when I became a Christian. I believed it with my head. I didn't understand it with my heart because my father was not someone who was in my life. Through the gift over time that God brought my father back into my life, I know God is a loving father now. I don't have to take it on faith. I know for real that he is a loving father. And I would ask that you realize, too, that he is your loving father. Whether you see it or not, I'm just telling you he is. He really, truly is. And he cares for you and wants to redeem you. And abundant redemption, the best way I can explain it, maybe you may or, not, may, or may not have heard this song, but I played it a lot when I was doing my walks after radiation treatment. It's called Chain Breaker. It's from about five or six years ago. It's a country Christian song. And to me, it describes what abundant redemption is. The verse, the chorus in that song is talking about Jesus, Jesus. And it says, if you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. Like this chorus says, we all have different needs for redemption. We all have different depths that we're stuck in. But God is there when you reach out to him and beg and ask him, cry to him. He will reach down to you. And whatever is needed for you to bring him and draw, bring him closer to you and draw you closer to God, God will do. Because that's what God wants to do. He loves you and wants to redeem you. He wants you to be in relationship with him again. Because that brings, and he wants us to fear him and graciously love him. So, when you cry out to God, whatever you do, if you have, know that he hears you. If you haven't cried out to God, know that you can. And know that he hears you, will listen, and will act 
on your cries and act on your prayers. It may be many years longer than you expected, but I'm a testament, I think, to share with you to know that he is your loving father and he will hear you and he will redeem you. So I ask um, with the promise of Psalm 130 that we all bow our heads in this closing prayer. And I have a prayer for, for those who haven't started the journey out of the depths or who are just beginning that journey out of the depths, whatever your depths may be, I pray that you find God and please know that you can cry out to God. He will lift you out of the depths of whatever holds you away from God. And through the redemptive acts of Jesus' death and resurrection, he will save you. I ask if you feel led to pray these words, pray with me these words that are found in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Oh, give me back my joy again. Let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore me to the joy of your salvation. And for those of you who are a little bit farther on down the path of finding God, I ask that God please help us to remember times in our lives when you were present, your unseen hand protecting us and guiding us, and we call out to you where we are and ask you listen, that you reaffirm our faith, our hope and trust in you. Help us to recommit ourselves to you this year, making the most important resolution of all, and that is placing Jesus first and foremost in our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen.